to see me, and uh, she sat across the desk from me. And uh, in tears, she began to share her story and her disappointments, uh, things that didn't turn out in her life the way she had hoped they would. Disappointment after disappointment, and then she buried her face in her hands, and through tears, she said, all I want is to be happy. And I thought to myself, how many of us have the same thought? All I want is to be happy. Uh, how many of us look at what we do in life and, and, and what we do and what motivates us is we want to be happy. If we could just be happy. And, and the trouble is that sometimes happiness seems so elusive and sometimes it just seems like we get it and something comes along and just takes that away. You know, this issue was so important uh, to our neighbors to the south that in the framing of the Declaration of Independence in 1776, uh, these words are found in that document. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's a right that we have to pursue happiness because which one of us doesn't want happiness in our life? And uh, they would say, these were given by the Creator. We have these unalienable rights. And of that is a pursuit of happiness. And, And as I said, you look at so often what we do in our lives and the things that motivate our decisions and our choices It's happiness. I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. You know, here's the thing. It it might seem as though the Christian faith were in contradiction to happiness. I mean, some people have a a, a view of God, uh, of that God is is some kind of a killjoy, that God is just going to bury you with tough commands and things that are difficult to do and you watch your friends and they're happy and they're having a good time but but what god wants from you is something that is kind of dour and hard and difficult and unpleasant uh even if it it promises to be good and we sometimes see people maybe who are religious people and and they're they're living out their faith and and they don't seem to be having a very good time, and it's just like, uh, do this and don't do that, and I have to do this and I don't do that. And it seems for some of those people, um, there are a lot more don'ts than there are do's, and don't do this and don't do that. And, and let's face it, it can look kind of uh, difficult when you're looking across and thinking, I, I just want to be happy too. Is If I want to live for God, if I want to be a Christian, if I want to follow Christ, do I have to do that? I remember, uh, and I, I've shared this before, but I, I remember a, uh, a guy that wanted to see me, and his life had gone south in so many ways. He is broken up with his girlfriend. They had lived together. They, she took the baby. Uh, his friend was having an affair with his mother. It, it, I mean, it, it was just a mess. And he looked at me, and, and, and he said, you know, if I become a Christian, what will I do for fun? And I thought, dude, look at your life. You came to see me because your life was in such 
a mess. Well, I want to say something to you this morning, and and I want to say to you this. God is pro-joy. God is all for joy. God wants joy to be something in our life. If you you missed the words that we have sung this morning, you you were sleeping on us because it's joy, joy, joy joy. And God is all about joy. And and God created, and God looked at his creation, and he was pleased with it. He was joyful. He saw what he created, and he was, he was, uh, said, it's very, very good. And and in our lives, I just, here's a verse that just kind of uh, blows me away. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he'll no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Is that the picture you have of God? Who who for some wayward person had rebelled against God, had gone away and fought against God, and had returned, and God said, I'll take delight in you. He said, I'm not going to rebuke you any longer. Yes, you need to be chastised. You needed to be brought back to me. But I will rejoice over you with singing. Now, I don't know about you, but when singing happens in my house, it's not a funeral dirge. It's like joy and rejoicing. Can you imagine God rejoicing over you? Can you imagine God rejoicing? looking down and singing over you in joy. God is all about that. In the Old Testament, there were three mandatory feasts that every, uh, every uh, observant Hebrew uh, would, would uh, uh, fulfill. And they would come to Jerusalem for a time of worship for this, these festivals that God prescribed. And when they came, they were to come with their family and their slaves and the aliens and the fatherless and the widows. And it's just everybody's coming. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a celebration. I want you to come and celebrate me. I want you to bring these before me and rejoice in my presence. You know, I feel so badly about people who, who don't understand God's love and his desire for our well-being and our joy in our life. And he says, when you worship, bring everybody. Come on in, and, and uh, we'll, we'll, there'll be sacrifices and offerings, and we're going to have a feast and a banquet, and we're gonna re- you're going to rejoice in my presence. That's what God wants. Hey, let me ask you a question. When you came in here today to worship God, did you come with a mind to, with the joy of your heart, express your gratitude to God? Did you come in and, and think, you know what God wants from me? He wants to smile down on me, and he wants me to have this sense of his love and the joy that we have in a relationship with him. It's interesting as Jesus came along and began his ministry, uh, the religious leaders who were somewhat dour and... Uh, very restrictive and there wasn't a lot of fun in life for them they weren't a good advertisement for faith Um, not not like what we had this morning in the confession of faith of uh, these young people and uh, here was a knock on Jesus Uh, first they had a knock on John the Baptist he's he eats weird stuff he eats honey and wild locusts and 
he wears a, a camel coat and, uh, and here's Jesus. And Jesus came eating and drinking. And they said, you know what? He's, he's a drunk and a glutton, which you can't call Jesus of that. But Jesus was there at the party. He, he was there enjoying. He was there celebrating with them. And that's just kind of a picture of, here are Jesus' own words as he teaches his followers uh, to love him and to follow his commands. He says this, I've told you this, Jesus said, that you should do all these things for this purpose, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you get that? Jesus wants you to have joy in your life. He goes on in that prayer that he has before he goes to the cross when he prays to the Father and he says this, I'm coming to you now, Father, but I say these things while I'm in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Do you need a corrective in your life in terms of what you thought God or Jesus was like? And, and maybe, maybe he was harsh and demanding and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And just waiting for you to mess up so that he can nail you. That is not a picture. That is not an accurate picture of God. In John 10.10 10, he said, I have come that you might have life. Life to the full. Is that your experience whether you're a follower of Christ or not. And, and he goes on uh, to say this uh, in, in Psalm 16, you make me to know the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And when you start and go through the Bible, you see that it has a whole lot to say about joy. P- uh, passage after passage after passage. In fact, one of the one of the great historic uh, declarations and catechisms of faith was called the Westminster Catechism, and there was a version called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And what they would do, they, they would teach through asking questions and then answering those questions. And the question was, what is the chief end of man? And they answer that question. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forevermore. Isn't that incredible? God wants joy for you and for me in our life. That's his desire, that we would experience this deep and profound, profound sense of joy. And, and uh, if you have been uh, sold a false bill of goods about what God is like and how he operates and what he wants of us, I, I trust that this morning you'll have that corrective in your mind of who he is and what he wants for us. And what does God want for followers of Jesus? Uh, we said in our, the mission statement of our church is that we want to help people uh, and lead people to know Jesus Christ and to follow him passionately. And so we've been trying to explore, what does it mean to follow Jesus passionately? I think I heard a whole lot of passion this morning by the young people up here. Uh, what, what does it look like? And we said one of the ways, uh, passion for Jesus Christ, what, one of the ways it shows itself is when we become like Jesus that his purpose and his plan is that we would become like him, that we would follow his example, that we would love as he loves, that we would uh, be righteous as he's righteous, that we would help as he helps, that we had no joy and peace and patience and all the things. And so there's a whole passage of Scripture called um, the fruit of the Spirit, and that is 
the fruit of Jesus' spirit, what he produces in our lives to make us the people that he wants to be, which in the end is to be a passionate follower of Jesus. And so we're called to do that, to become like Jesus. And he gives us a list of nine characteristics or attributes that are typical of Jesus that he wants seen in us. And we started last week and we looked at love headed the list. And today um, we're going to look at joy. And it just so happens that we can do the whole summer taking each Sunday one of, uh, of each of these nine different characteristics. And when we come to joy, we see that in the New Testament, 50, 59 times joy comes up, and rejoice comes up 74 times. So God has a lot to say about that. And it's such an important characteristic. And we need to ask the question, though, what is joy? What is joy? And well, I would say happiness and joy share some common ground. There are some important distinctions between the two. Happiness on one hand and joy on the other. And so I just want to help us just look for a minute at these differences. First, happiness is a subjective state of a feeling of elation. Um, When you're really jacked about something, when something great happens... Um, it's that subjective state of feeling of elation, that positive uh, uh, experience, that exuberance that we experience. Beyond that, it's the state one enjoys because good things happens to you. So if, if something good happens in your life, that brings about happiness, right? Uh, when, when, when the person you're interested in says they'll go out with you on a date, that brings happiness. Uh, when you ace your exam, it brings happiness. Uh, when, when the weather warning says it's going to be snow and ice all day, and the schools say we're closing, there's happiness. And I shouldn't be talking about this in this season. Uh, but, but you know you do. You're happy. When good things happen... We're positive, and we experience that elation that comes from it. Uh, Next, it's traced to luck, chance, and fortune. The etymology of the word brings forth these kinds of things. But having good luck. I had good luck. Oh, I couldn't believe it. Um, The teacher assigned me to uh, do work on the project with this girl that I think I'd like to get to know. Well, that was lucky. I'm happy. Uh, um, by chance, I got included in a trial drug because they're not, they're not able to do anything for my sickness or my disease. But I got approved for a trial drug. I feel so lucky. I'm so happy in that way. Uh, my, I was playing the lottery and my number came up. By chance, I am so lucky. And so it's... It's along those kinds of of ways. But it's also dependent upon circumstances. It's driven by the right circumstances. So if you have the right circumstances, you'll have the right right attitude. You'll have the right mood. Um, Now, a lot of people who, who didn't even know that basketball existed over the last couple of months have gotten on board. Now, I, I kind of follow it on, on a pretty regular w- uh, basis. Um, 
My wife, Gerda, does not. And so I'll say, hey, why don't, why don't we watch the game? No, it's all right. <laughs> I'm going to watch something on, you know, one of these house shows or something like that. And, you know, we, we become a family divided. And <laughs> one goes to one TV and one goes to another TV. But God did a work in her heart. <laughs> and, and she started watching... Well, it started with baseball a few years ago. And I was, man, this is so cool. We're watching baseball. We're discussing it. And, and I'd give her, here's, here's a book on R.A. Dickey, you, you know. And uh, so, it, you know, it was, kind of, it was kind of cool. But what we saw happen with the Raptors was, man, people who never watched basketball are into it. They're now starting to get to know some of the names of the players. And, and my wife was hooting and hollering and putting her arms up in the air. And she was like, she's getting really ticked off when they weren't draining baskets and all of this kind of thing. And, and you realize that, that it's dependent upon circumstances. We rode that wave and, and uh, we had such a great time and we were so happy. And at the parade, watching the parade on TV. And do you remember this? What was that? Five more years. Kawhi is going to be five more years. He loved us and he left us. <laughs> we were sad. Were you sad? Because we had a chance to contend again, but now we took our superstar around whom the whole team is built, and he walked on us. And so we weren't so happy. And, and that's the kind of thing with, with uh, happiness. It's dependent on the right circumstances happening. And, and finally, um, it's temporary, as we saw with Kawhi. He was a great player, a great teammate. But it, all, it, it ran its course. And, and so it, it's good. You know, you can get a good report now. But you may get a, a bad report coming. And so when you got the good report, what happened? It elevated your mood and you were so happy. I mean, the test came back and I'm doing really well. And I'll have to come back for four months. And we will go back four months and say, oh, no, I'm sorry. The tumor's growing. And you go, oh, now I'm in, I'm in the pits I'm down and out. It's great while it lasts, but, but happiness is such a roller coaster. You know, things go well and we're happy and things don't. Well, in contrast, we have joy. And uh, joy is an objective state of pleasure and well-being. It's not dependent upon circumstances. You can have joy even when the circumstances aren't right and aren't good. It's related to grace and thanksgiving. It's interesting when you look at the etymology of the word, there are a few words in the New Testament that come from the same root. One is joy, the other is grace. Joy is kara, grace is charis. And uh, another word that is related to them is thanksgiving, ukaristo. Um, and, and so what we have with joy, it's related to these other terms. And we see in it the grace of God, the, the, the kindness of God, the unmerited favor of God, and this heart of gratitude that comes with it. Joy, joy has, 
has an element of thanksgiving in it as well. And an, an, a sense of this wonderful grace that God has poured out on us. God's grace and goodness. Um, and this attitude of being grateful that God shows. So not only that, but it's also grounded in hope. It's not just looking today, but it's looking to the future. It's looking to what God has in store for us. It sees beyond this day. It sees beyond all of what's happening and understands that there is a sovereign God who still rules the universe, and uh, He is with us. And here's another thing. It's not optional for a follower of, uh, uh, of Jesus. We're, we're commanded to have joy. Do you realize that? That if you're not joyful, you're not in a place that God wants you because God has commanded you um, to joy. He's, he's lifted us to joy. Listen to what it says in um, Philippians 3, 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Do you know, um, if you remember your grammar, that's a command. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble to write the same things again to you again. It's a safeguard for you. If you didn't get it, in the next chapter, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Command, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. Wake up. Rejoice. Rejoice. Uh, in the passage that Keisha read this morning, in 1 uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, it said, rejoice always and pray without ceasing. And, and give thanks in everything. And what does he say? This is the will of God for you. See, sometimes we're asking, what is God's will for me? What, 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 what does God want of me? What am I supposed to do? He wants you to rejoice. What's his will for me? He wants you to rejoice. Uh, and so we, we need to rejoice. It's commanded from God. Now, I'll just give you a little, uh, a little definition Uh, From this, joy is the delight and great pleasure one experiences that is grounded in God and unaffected by negative circumstances. That's what joy is. Joy is having this wonderful sense uh, of pleasure and delight that that is sourced in God and that uh, that goes beyond and is unaffected by negative things that happen in our life. I don't know. Tell me. Does this seem like it could be kind of unfair? I mean, a command of God to rejoice. I just, I just found out that my child has cancer. Well, rejoice. Does that seem, does that seem fair? Um, I just lost my job, and I don't know what we're going to do. I can't pay the mortgage payment. I can't afford food. I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Rejoice. What? And you could, you could have an, an angry response to that. That just doesn't sound fair. Uh, is it asking something that is beyond we can, what we can do? Um, when disappointments and devastation and frustration uh, crowd our life, it's not optional. But if we're to be like Jesus, then we're supposed to find joy in life. So my question is this. How can we be joyful? How can we be joyful when things are going south in our life, when there are problems and difficulties and stresses and anxiety? Well, let me, let me just give you a few things. Uh, first, consider Jesus' example. You know, Jesus never asks us to do anything that he doesn't live out, flesh out, 
uh, for us in his own life and that he also wouldn't at the same time give us what we need to be able to do what he calls us to do. And in Hebrews chapter 12, there's uh, Jesus uh, is talking about a group of people that were, had a lot of struggles and trials and difficulties and challenges in their life. And the writer of Hebrews is telling them how they can keep going when, it's, when things are so difficult and so tough. And so he says uh, in Hebrews, he says, what we need to do is fix our eyes on Jesus. And he, what he's talking about, life is, he said, is like a marathon. And a marathon is, well... Um, you know, you have hills and you, you hit the wall at times and sometimes you're going downhill and you just feel like you're flying and other times you want to quit because it's so tough. And he says, how do you keep going in life when things treat you that way, when things go that way for you? And, and he says this uh, like as a, 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 a marathon runner and, and, and one who was, here's what it said of Jesus. He, he was acquainted with grief and new sorrow. That was his life. He, he knew and understood he lived in that kind of a place. And so it says, when, when, it's, when you're trying to figure out how to make it through and, and to have joy in that, you need to fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't look, don't look around to people. Don't look here. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the, the one that or, faith originated with. He said, for the, so, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Can, you know, just, and, and scorning its shame. Now, here is Jesus. He came to die, as, as we heard in what, what the kids were saying this morning. He came to save us, but in order to save us, he had to take uh, our punishment our, for our sin and our rebellion, and God had to deal with that and judge it. And so what he, what he decided to do for us was to put that judgment on his son who lived an absolutely perfect life, became a human being so he could take our place, and he died on a cross. And he died in nakedness. I know we see a loincloth, but, but in all likelihood, they stripped all of his clothes off him, hung him to shame, made fun of him, spat upon him, tortured him. And, and yet it says this, that there was a, the joy that sat before him allowed him to endure that and scorning its shame and to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not saying he rejoiced because he likes pain or shame or anything like that. He said, for the joy set before him. He understand what he was going to accomplish. What he was accomplishing is what we're enjoying today. Hearing what uh, these young people have borne witness to in their own life and what those of us who've come to know Jesus Christ, what we understand, that we're going to have a relationship with God because Jesus uh, took that breach and, and made a way for us to come to God. And uh, he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. He was able to find joy even in those difficult circumstances because he knew where it was going. Um, Jesus, look to him. And secondly, make God the source of your joy. See, if, if it's the happiness is the thing, if you get a raise, you're happy. If you don't get a raise, if something negative happens, you're, you're not happy. But, but if you make God the center of your joy, if you make God the source of your joy, um, he will do something with you with that. Rejoice in the Lord. 
always, again, I'll say it, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And and our rejoicing needs to be in God, who he is, what he's done, how he loves us, the promises that he gives us, that he'll never abandon us, that he'll give us the power and the strength to have uh, to be able to overcome temptation and difficulty, uh, to, to cling to him with his love for us, to understand his sovereign control over that. Rejoice in that. Don't rejoice that you lost your do- job particularly. Rejoice in God. Make your, make your focus be that. Find joy in God. Know him and know that you are loved and cared for by him. And no one can take that away from you. No one can steal that from you he is the constant um rejoice in the lord uh john piper wrote a book called um becoming a a a christian hedonist confessions excuse me confessions of a christian hedonist Uh, some people who are looking for happiness uh, there's, a, there's a whole philosophy of life called hedonism. And hedonism, the, the goal of hedonism is joy, is, is, is rather pleasure. So everything we live for is pleasure. In, in, its, uh, in its very, very negative sense, it's sexual and sensual and all of that kind of stuff. Beyond that, there's, there would be a higher level. But, but it, it never works. We need to find in joy, the, the joy in God, not in somewhere else that's transitory. And, and then beyond that, we're called to, uh, let me just read this, uh, uh, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, in the Lord. Nurture a spirit of contentment and thanksgiving. Remember we said one of the words that, that really uh, are, are part of the root for the word joy is thanksgiving. If anyone uh, could be justified for not having joy because of what they were going through, I suppose it would be the Apostle Paul, one of the writers in Scripture, who wrote so many letters that have been helpful uh, as the Word of God. And um, the Apostle Paul, in his experience of his faith, when he decided to follow Jesus, uh, did not go well for him. I mean, he didn't get married because he committed himself uh, to God. He lost friends because he followed Christ. He was persecuted because of that. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He, 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 was, uh, uh, he had people attempt murder on his life in many different ways. Uh, he endured nasty slurs and false claims from people who tried to uh, deride him and make him out to be something that he was not. Uh, He was beaten. He was imprisoned in all of that. And he writes a little letter called the letter to the Philippians. It's only four chapters long, very small. But in that is about 15 references to joy and rejoicing. He's writing it from prison. In fact, he would be in... in, uh, uh, Philippi, and he would go, he'd go to, to jail with Silas because of his faith. And, and what they did was they beat him, they threw him in a jail, and they, uh, they put chains on him. And uh, it's interesting, about midnight, the scripture tells us what the, what the people heard was this, 
singing. There was joy in the midst of that. And here is a guy who 47 times in his letters talks about joy. In fact, he makes this statement in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. He says, I'm sorrowful, but always rejoicing. No, no, no. Paul, wait a minute, wait a minute. You were sorrowful, but rejoice. You can't have those together. You can't have sorrow and joy. He says, oh, yes, you can. You can have sorrow and joy. See, for a lot of us, if we have sorrow, we don't have joy. If we have joy, there's no sorrow, but that's not the case. And he wants us to nurture a spirit of contentment and thanksgiving. Listen to what he says. He writes them from jail, and he says, I I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Uh, He was in jail, and they they sent some money to help him out. And and he said, uh, you renewed your concern for me. He he got helped out. Indeed, you were concerned, but before, you just didn't have an opportunity to, to show it. I'm not saying this, he says, because I need, I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. He said, I learned the circumstance of contentment, because you can't be discontent and have joy, you re- right? You can't be thankless and have joy. You can't think, this really, this really is awful, I shouldn't have to endure that. You can't do that and have joy. And so here he is, joy, joy, rejoice, rejoice, and he lives it out himself. And he said, I've learned the secret of being able to find contentment in anything and everything. He said, you know what? I've been in jail, starving and, uh, and uh, naked and not having enough clothing in, in a dirty, damp cell. And I've sat at the table with, with opulence. And he said, frankly, I'm content with either. Really? There's a deep joy because he had a contentment in God and who God was and in every situation. He said, whether I'm hungry or well-fed, it doesn't matter. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, sometimes we use that verse and we, you know, we say, well, I'm, I'm going to try for PWB. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I saw, I saw one of the basketball players had Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In context... This is about a guy who's saying, I can, I can endure the most terrible of circumstances or great circumstances, and I still have this constant of joy. Why is it? Uh, because I'm content. I found contentment in God. What a, what a beautiful thing. So rejoice and don't be anxious. In, earlier in verse 4, the passage that was read for us, rejoice. Don't be anxious, but pray with thanksgiving. And if you do that, you can find that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, ability to have joy. When we were in college, training, uh, began training for ministry, we had a, um, an older couple, um, the husband of which had been 45 years in pastoral ministry. Wonderful people to us. We adopted them and, and just loved them uh, to bits. When we, when we couldn't get home at Christmas, we had Christmas with them together. And uh, uh, Doc, as, as I called him, uh, he had 
he had been in ministry 45 years. In his time of ministry, ministers didn't have houses. The they, church would have a manse that they would live in, and they would never build up any equity. And they weren't particularly well paid anyway. And so now here he is in these twilight years of his life, and he's got this bungalow that's like 800 square feet. It's a tiny bungalow, and they had us and our kids over um, for dinner. And, and, and Doc looked around this tiny house that was, you know, not particularly well-appointed or anything. And he says, oh, isn't it wonderful? God is so good. This is, oh, we're so thankful. There was just joy was oozing out of his prayers. And I'm going like, Doc, have you been around anywhere? You really know what you're talking about? Yeah, because to him it was a palace. And I think the Apostle Paul, whatever state I'm in, doesn't matter. You can't take my joy away from me because my joy isn't dependent upon those kind of circumstances. Joy and discontentment can't coexist. Well, the other thing is to consider the positive outcomes of trials in your life. Listen, I... I've had a wonderful life. I'd have a great life, a wonderful family, being loved and secure and, and all the rest of that. But our life has not been without issues and problems and challenges and struggles also. We've had different experiences of that. And one thing that can kind of help us in the area of joy is this, to consider the positive outcomes of trials in your life. Because if you've got trials, for some people, that means I can't, I can't have joy. But that's not the case. Um, Instead, rather than that, um, James says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you nuts, man? Consider it pure joy, great joy, exquisite joy, when you've got problems in your life that are dragging you down and, and hurting you and threatening you. And and he goes on to say, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, the cool thing is, he says, look beyond. You're in a tough time. There are trials, there are struggles, there are difficulties. And and, uh, you've got to look beyond that because you need to understand that there is a God who's in control of everything and even the tough things in your life. He didn't abandon you and it wasn't that he wasn't powerful enough to stop anything that was difficult for you. No, he's, he's in control of all that. And so you can consider it pure joy knowing uh, that God has purpose in it and that he's going to do something, work in you, And when he finishes its work, it's going to mature you and help you be complete, not lacking anything. And the whole goal, we said, for our faith is to become like Jesus, to become mature in our faith. You know what I found? Maturity does not come cheaply or easily in times of uh, luxury and and lack of problems. It's when we've got to lay hold of God through difficulty, when we've got to trust in his promises, that he strengthens us and builds us up in our, in our faith. And that's why John would say that, and the, uh, or, or James would say that. And Paul would say in Romans 8.28, uh, For we know this, 
that in all things God works for the good of those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. That means everything that happens, good or bad, if it, comes from, it comes from God's hand and it has purpose. And that purpose is to make you and me more like Jesus. And when you understand that and when you see what you come out the other end as, you, you can understand, you can rejoice, in, not, in the, not in the trial, but in what the trial is producing in your life. And I'll tell you what, it's forged on the anvil of adversity and struggle that God uh, uh, forms our life and makes us more like Jesus. And so my life, as wonderful as it been, has been, has not been without trials or problems. But I can rejoice in the Lord, in what He does, and I can look ahead and understand that. And in that, I can find joy. And the last thing is this. Rely on the Holy Spirit. See, when you see somebody who has a level of joy when they shouldn't have any joy, that's not attributable to themselves. And we said before, God doesn't ask anything of us. That would be unfair of God to say, I want you to be joyful in sorrow, unless he gave us what we need to be able to do that. And, and, and so he tells us in this whole passage, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, and joy, and peace, and all these other things. And I can tell you that God will do it. I, I can remember Gerda and I, um, through some challenging times, gathering around the Scripture and reading it, and God bringing faith to rise in our hearts and, and to have this incredible joy that we shouldn't have had in that situation. And we were rejoicing in God. I tell you, it can happen. But it can't happen with your strength. It's God's strength in us. And when you see it, it's incredible. A friend of mine that we went through college together, we trained for ministry uh, together. We, uh, we uh, were involved in each other's ministries. And uh, my friend uh, had cancer. And uh, I went to see him, and I didn't know it would be the last time I'd see him. It was about two, uh, two weeks before he passed away. He had a, he had a, uh, a hospital bed in the dining room. And uh, I went and saw him. When I went in, he had a big, broad smile on his face. And he said, Kev, I'm going to be going home soon. And uh, I said, wow, Peter, you know, how's it going? He said, you know, I'm, I, I just feel bad that I'll be leaving my kids and my wife. And, and, and I, but there was a deep and abiding joy that, that's not comprehensible. On, on a mere human level. But he had something deeper, something more profound than that. I can tell you, I've experienced it. And God is able to do something in your life, to bring forth joy, because that's his desire for you. And the back of your bulletin, you know, we don't want to just, uh, you know, as the Bible says, you don't just be hearers and not doers. If God wants us to do something, so we have a little, uh, you know, a little kind of uh, quiz uh, there. Uh, what's your joy quotient? You know, I find myself feeling sad or angry when others 
have achieved more than I do. Does this steal your joy? Maybe that's, a, maybe that's a sign that you need a little dose of that. Uh, sometimes I feel justified in not being willing to pursue joy. I mean, I, I can be in a bad mood if I want. I can have an attitude if I want. I deserve to feel pouty because uh, this shouldn't happen to me. You know, where are you on that spectrum? Uh, I've seen God grow my faith and character through difficulties. Have you seen that? God's working, bringing joy through you. I've experienced joy in the midst of pain or trials. So that's, uh, that's what God wants for us. And uh, what I have to say with, with, with the Apostle Paul is choose joy. You can choose to take the pathway of joy, or you can choose to be dour and unhappy. And, and, and what God wants is for us to choose joy and to see joy in our life, and for others to see Jesus in us and to see that joy. And so that's our prayer as we are in the second of this list of nine things. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. The joy is possible through you. Thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. Thank you that you could flood our souls with joy that is inexplicable outside of you. And thank you for the way that you can lead us through difficulties. You can form us and fashion us to be like Jesus. And you even use some tough things in our life at times to do that. And so, Father, we just give ourselves to you and ask that your spirit would have his, co- his way in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.